turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be back in the book of Philippians today. And as you all are turning there, um, I wanted to remind you, sometimes when we're in a New Testament letter, we kind of forget actually what actually what's going on when we when we're reading a letter to Philippi there was no email there was no uh, computers there wasn't the US Postal Service driving around dropping mail off at different churches you had to travel in this case you had to travel from Rome to Philippi which was like 800 miles and there was no like motor carriage so you were hoofing it on foot and going through all the dangerous terrain, all the just being out in the elements, you, it, it took about 40 days. So imagine uh, the courier, in this case it was Epaphroditus, who took the message from Paul, this letter, and went all the way to Philippi on foot for 40 days to get this message to them. And if something was going down at Philippi and things were, 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 there was a struggle or Paul had something going on where he doesn't know if he's going to be beheaded on trial in prison at Rome, which was the case. It took 40 days to get notice back. And that's if they were like spot on, turning it around, getting it out. And think of the kind of like gravity that you're like sitting under. If you got news and it's going to take 40 days to get back to them and then another 40 days to get back to you. And sometimes we're like, we're frustrated because the email doesn't come in the click of a button or we're frustrated because we don't get the phone call or we don't get the text or the text doesn't come out on time. And just think of this church is like waiting kind of on their tippy toes for a word from Paul. Like, how are you doing, brother? They don't even know if he got beheaded. And that's what we're walking into when we step into a letter like this. And... Today, we're actually going to, we're going to talk about the guy who brought the letter and also Timothy, who was Paul's protege, sort of like his spiritual son that he kind of raised up in the Lord and was a pastor himself. And we're going to talk about those two examples of what it means to live the mindset of Christ. And we've been talking about it for weeks, but it's almost as if Paul's like, I want you to have some visible, because we're talking about Jesus, and it's like, oh, of course, Jesus laid down his life. Jesus is the humble servant. He's the son of God, became man to die on a cross, to live for you and I, and to bleed on the cross so that you might be redeemed. Go be like him. And you're like, okay, I'm going to be like Jesus. And there's a sense of kind of like a little bit of a pause there, right? He's like, oh, okay, I'll give you two examples of two men, one from your own congregation, and then Timothy, who is a kind of a, a half-breed Gentile Jew, half-Jew, and, and nobody thought the pedigree of Timothy was going to be like something amazing, and he becomes one of the who's who's of pastors in the New Testament, and he's like, I'm going I'm to put before you these two examples to light a fire in your souls to live a different way, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And I hope it just, it just awakens us to this kind of, the beauty of this kind of living and that it's actually that God calls real people like you and I 
to do that. I mean, I, w- I, was, I was a hooligan living in sin, um, making a mess of my life, went into the Marine Corps and just got worse. I didn't get better, I got worse. So going to the Marine Corps and I thought, oh, I get a little discipline. Well, sure, I could fake it. But then I was, I was a mess on the weekends and getting into fights and brawls and all sorts of stuff. And then Jesus gets a hold of my heart and I'm living differently. And then even then he had to smooth out like, and, and it's, I'm a work in progress. So pray for your pastor because that's who I was and I'm a work in progress and I need the gospel to be fleshed out right in my life. And you do too. You need the gospel to work deep into your soul, to awaken you to the realities of who we're called to be as the church. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, would you, would you help us now as we're getting into this letter, as we're getting help from Paul, from the Holy Spirit, from this letter to the Philippians? There's a little church that had a heart for God and blew up Europe with the gospel. And Lord, I'm just excited to be helped by this and for us to be helped by this. Would you pour out your spirit? Would you guard me, Lord, that I might not sin against you in word or deed? And I pray, Father, that you would bring your word with unction and and that right where we need it, wherever our hearts are at, that we would get a word, that the spirit would tailor a word for the the 50 people who are in here and those listening online, that, that you would light the wick that would fuel gospel ministry in our lives and in our church and in our souls. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Thursday I was preparing a message, not this message, but um, I was at church real late and I was getting a little sleepy too. And I'm like, I'm, I'm calling it, you know, it's time to just close the book on that and we'll, we'll take, take it up tomorrow. And so I'm walking in and out and I decide, I always come through that door, but I decided to come through the back door back there. And so I'm coming in and out, in and out, and I didn't realize it, but above the door, there was like this giant wasp nest the size of like a, you know, a softball. (laughs) And so I was just coming in and out, just making them angry, and I didn't know it. And so finally, I come through like the last time, drop my stuff off, and I'm coming to lock, you know, the door. And all of a sudden, like, I just feel something come and hit me right here, and it was just like, appears somebody just stuck me with an ice pick and I'm like oh what what is that and I'm like "Ah," you know like waving my hands running around you know and and I was I was sleepy but then I got woke up because I was like why like okay where where are they at um and so I was I was like stabbed awake and there was just a soberness about it and and that's what Paul is doing in this letter to us. That's what he's doing. He wants to awaken us. He wants to to, to put a sense of gravity about the truths of God and the gospel of Christ and the kind of life that flips the world upside down because it's lived out for Jesus, no holds bar, sacrificially to the glory of God. And Paul's going to get two guys where he's like, these are the guys. And so this sermon might sting a little bit and wake us up a little bit, but I, but I want you to bear with me in a sense because I, we need that, right? There was a sense in which I was seeing very clearly, like danger imminent, I'm awake, no sleepiness anymore, and we need to wake up sometimes as the church. We get sleepy. 
We're like Peter and the apostles, and Jesus is out praying his heart out the night before his crucifixion, and then they're like, you know, and he's like, what's going on? <laughs> Wake up. It's time to pray. Pray lest you enter into temptation. We're about to, you're, you're about to see the, the shepherd's going to be struck, and the sheep will scatter. Of course, he regathers them, and he establishes them as the pillars and foundations of the church. So my question for us today for us to be thinking about is what if the church, everybody in it was just like you? If everybody in the church prayed like you, shared the gospel like you, read the Bible like you, served like you, if everybody in the church had your heart for the things of God. Would this be a healthy church? Would it be on the struggle bus? Would it be needing to be rebuked? Would it be like Ephesus? You've got all the doctrinal, you know, you're crossing your, your T's and you're dotting your I's, but you've left your first love. Or would it be like Laodicea? Like, you're, you're neither cold nor hot. You're not useful in any way, so I'm going to spew you out. Or would you be dialed in and, 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 and like the kind of person that would be exemplary? And if, if the whole church was filled with you, the world would get flipped upside down. And so no matter where you're at, you may come in and you're like, well, shoot, <laughs> this is not only is this heavy, but I'm also bummed out now. So thanks, Pastor. But. Listen, no matter where you're at, the sermon is about waking us up. It's about waking us up to the things of God, to the gospel of God, and giving us two in-the-flesh examples of men who exemplified this to stir us up to live accordingly. And we've got the, the Lord of glory who did give his life as a ransom to save us so that we could live in these ways. So let's look at our text. We're just going to read it in its entirety. And you're going to see our two examples here. Chapter 2 and verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that you too, or I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your, for your welfare for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven character or proven worth. How as a son with his father, he served me with the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust that in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So he was hoping he could come too. And I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, who's taken this letter, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard or because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, 
that you may re rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So if I were to break down this sermon, it, it would just be part one, Timothy, part two, Epaphroditus. Part one, Timothy, who was just a servant of the gospel. And part two, Epaphroditus, who was a sacrificial, Christ-honoring, servant-hearted, risk-taking, gospel-saturated man who was just an ordinary church member who had a heart to go visit Paul and help him out and then come back and help the church out. So two parts. So let's look at part one. Timothy, a servant of the gospel. And, and you'll notice right off the bat in verse 19, right? Paul's like, Paul's right off the bat wanting to get you involved in like, put your hope in Christ. No matter what your plans are, no matter what you're going to do, submit your plans to hope in the Lord. Look, I hope in the Lord Jesus. My hope's in Jesus. I'm united to Jesus. I'm living for Jesus. And I hope to send Timothy to you soon so that you too may be cheered of, uh, or sorry, that I too may be cheered of news of you. So Paul wants to get at what's going on in Philippi so he can be encouraged at the spiritual progress and joy of the people. And he's hoping in Christ to send Timothy. And you all know that, that, that New Testament Christians and Christians who understand their hope and they're living under the sovereign rule of God and they have all of life with an open hand. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's why we want to live full, full tilt for Jesus today. Because you don't know what the future will bring. You've got to say, I hope in the Lord Jesus to do thus and such. I hope in the Lord Jesus that I'm going to be able to do gospel to every home. I hope in the Lord Jesus that I'm going to be able to celebrate my daughter's birthday. I hope in the Lord Jesus. And there's people in Afghanistan right now who are hoping in the Lord Jesus, singing in an underground church, knowing that they could be hunted down any moment and be hauled off to jail or beheaded on national television for the sake of the name. But their hope is in the Lord and the church is spreading there. Why? Because they get this. They've got the gravity of like, my Lord has got my back. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. What was Paul's mantra all through this book? To live is Christ and to die gain. That's unstoppable Christianity. Because if you're living, you're living for the Lord. And if you're dead, you're with the Lord. And you're going to get raised up. And we've got examples of, of men here like Timothy. And listen to how he describes. It, it's like Timothy. I almost called him Tiffany. We're going to say Timothy, right? Uh, let's make sure we got <laughs> things clear. Timothy actually was commended by Paul in three ways or in several ways in this passage. He, he's commended and look at verse 20. He says, I've got no one like him. I've got nobody like Timothy. I'm going to send you my best. I'm going to send you like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm going to send you, I'm not sending you like the JV team and, and the guy who's sitting on the bench 
and who's not going to come and hit a home run. I'm actually sending you Babe Ruth to come back clean up for when you need help. I'm sending a pastor who has a heart after my own. And the actual word there in the Greek is that he's got a like mind or a like soul or one soul with Paul. And I want that heart. I hope you want that heart. Like, can I, Lord, can you blaze the kind of soul, the kind of unity that, that Paul, the kind of fire Paul had for Jesus, blaze that into my heart, work that into my soul, help me to be like Timothy, that I was just, Timothy genuinely cared for Philippi. He genuinely had concern. And if you'll remember, Timothy is the one who was there when Paul planted the church at Philippi. Timothy watched the Philippian jailer get saved. Timothy has been around in Paul's tough circumstance. Who do you think was getting thrown into jail with Paul? Timothy. Who do you think was getting beat up with Paul? Timothy. Who do you think was going through all of the accusations and all of the outbursts of the Jews who were seeking to destroy Paul and his ministry? Timothy's right alongside him. And who's at... Rome, while Paul's in prison, ministering to his need? Timothy. And Timothy wants nothing more than to get back to Philippi to strengthen them in grace and to get them word about Paul. Hey, Paul's okay. And guess what? He might get released. And you'll notice in these verses, look, uh, as I read um, verse 23 and 24, Paul's hope, he says, I hope therefore to send Timothy, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord shortly that I myself will come also. So Timothy's actually like being sent, but Paul's like, hold up. I'm, I'm, I, I want to make sure that things go well, and then I'm going to send him. And the, the next best thing then to having Paul there is to have Timothy. And that's the kind of Christian we want to be, right? We want to be the kind of Christian that if there was an issue there was something going on in the church that we would want to point and say, send him, send her, send her to meet that need. You got somebody sick who needs help, who needs a meal, send her, send him. And, and there's, there's, this is like, this is the heart we want. We want to be the kind of person that would commend the gospel and minister to needs in the body, but also be willing to go and do things that nobody else wants to do. Because we have the kind of heart and love for the gospel and the people of God. And notice, Paul's like, I've got nobody like Timothy. And guess what? He's genuinely concerned for the church. And that's convicting on some level because sometimes we can go into church and it can be very routine and we can get lulled into a pattern and a sleepiness. And one of the things that been listening to podcasts and, and different things from stuff going on in the Afghanistan church. And they're, they're like asking for prayer so that they'd be bold witnesses, but they're also praying for the American church. And they're also praying because they're saying the American church is asleep. The American church is slumbering and they're awake because they're being attacked for their Christianity. But 
there's a genuine concern that arises in the soul that's been gripped by the gospel. And as you're singing these songs, brothers and sisters, and your soul is being riveted by who Jesus is and what he's done, the very overflow of that is ministry, is genuine concern for the body of believers and the gospel getting out these doors. And if the gospel does not get out of these doors, this church will die. I can guarantee it. The church that does not preach the gospel will lose the gospel within a few generations. And there was a genuine concern in this brother's heart. And Paul was like, I'm sending him to set a fire in the church at Philippi that was already blazing pretty bright. But if Philippi needed a word, we need a word. Amen? If Philippi had pastors like Paul and like Timothy... We need a word because you guys are stuck with me. Okay, so we need a word from the Lord. Amen. Amen. And pray in your heart right now, like, Lord, light a fire in my soul for these things. Verse 21. Everybody else, Paul says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. And Timothy was the opposite. When Paul looked at Christianity in, in, in Rome, there was people who were preaching to cause Paul harm. We talked about that earlier in Philippi, Philipp, Philippi, earlier in Philippians, right? We, we saw Paul saying, there are actually brothers who preach the gospel with bad motives to cause me harm and that are maligning my name. But praise God, Christ is being preached. And for that, I'm grateful. But they were selfish they were they were trying to make much of themselves and Paul's like no I want people who actually have the interest of Christ at heart and Timothy was that man and this is being put forward to us so that we would have that kind of other centered ministry we're always looking to do others good discipleship is about doing other people good discipleship is actually outward focused ministry you can't do discipleship if you're all stuck on you you will not be discipling anybody if you're selfish and all about yourself. But discipleship flows out of a person who's selfless, whose interests are for Christ. And, and look, we've, we've read that earlier, verse 4 of chapter 2. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And isn't that what Jesus did? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, when we get that, it flows out in other-centered ministry. It flows out in Gospel to Every Home. It flows out in the ministries here. It flows out in our women's Bible study. It flows out in our brotherhood. It flows out and it radiates like a gospel reverberating in an echo chamber. When you, when you say something in an echo chamber, boom, 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 boom. It's flying all over the place. And that's the way we want the gospel to bounce around Smithfield and Henry County and beyond. We want to be a reverberating church that brings the gospel to the nations where stuff is going on in here and it's just naturally going to flow out there. So I'm sending Timothy to you. And you know why? Verse 22, because he's got proven character. 
He's been tried and tested. He's, been, he's battle-tested. He's got the scars to prove it. And that word there, the proven worth, if you'll look um, at verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. So you know Timothy's proven worth. The, the proven worth, that word in the Greek has the idea of, of a blacksmith testing metals in the fire and purging it and, and, and purging it and all the dross comes out and the, and, and the metals being, being uh, uh, made stronger and the metals being made more clear and the clarity and the toughness and the tenacity and exactly what you want to happen in the soul is going on in Timothy. He's been tested. A lot of times we don't know what our faith is until we've been tested. A lot of times we need the test to forge in the furnace a soul that's ablaze for the gospel and that will live for Jesus no matter what. And many of you have faced tests and many of you will face, all of you will face more tests. And they're meant for your good to make and forge a fire in your soul that will purge your faith of all the dross so that you might be Christ is above all and in all. And I want to be for him. And I want to light the fire of the gospel in my family, in my friendships. I want to be known for being a man or a woman of proven worth. Chapter 1 and verse 27 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Just put Jesus on display with how you live. Is the idea there. That thought is continuing to this passage. Paul's not left that thought. Now he's got two guys that he wants to land on us with and say, they're doing it too. And you can by God's grace. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God's at work in you to the level of willing and doing for his good pleasure. Roll up your sleeves. It's time to get busy doing the work of the gospel. That's what he's saying. And maybe we need to roll up our sleeves. We need to have that attitude. I almost want to make you stand up and roll your sleeves up right now just to kind of like stick with you. That's what Timothy did. He was a man who rolled up his sleeves and he served Paul, verse 22, like a son with a father. He was a spiritual son to Paul. Paul had, had shared the gospel with Timothy and Timothy got saved through Paul's ministry. And then he raised him up. Um, and I always think about uh, this church that we were at in California. There was a lot of theologians and, and uh guys from the seminary out there that went to this church and and some of the younger theologian had young kids right and so I would always see this little boy and he was in the front row or second to, to front row um, all every week he was there and he would just kind of look at his dad and do like the prayer hands and then like when his dad would raise his hand he kind of kind of check his dad out and be like okay I'm, I'm doing this just like daddy okay good and there was a sense in which everything daddy did I'm doing and that was Timothy. Timothy wanted to live as a true son in the faith to the Apostle Paul. And beloved, that's what God calls us to be. True sons and daughters in the faith. And you're like, I'm, 
I'm not there. Like, Pastor, you were already in like gear 20 when I started this sermon, but I'm not there yet. And God wants you to, God is, is calling us, right, to get a whiff of this so that it begins to awaken those things in our hearts. And, and, and he has given models. And so any brother and sister in this church who's a model, who's like a Timothy, who's like a Priscilla, bringing the gospel to Apollos. You know, there were sisters in the early church who were bringing the gospel. I'm not sure if y'all, like, all through the book of Acts, there's, there's like some sisters doing some business for the Lord. So let's not marginalize the role of women in the church. There's, a, there's faithfulness that you can live out, sisters. Like, there's, there's the life of God that can be brewing in this church because the work of God is being pushed and, and moved forward because of faithful women willing to give their lives for Christ. And brothers, we want to lead in such a way that, that we make every person flourish in the church, that nobody is marginalized, that Jesus is reigning and made much of, and that we want to live every member ministry to the glory of Christ. Sorry, I'm, I'm hearing some of this for the first time myself, but the, the reality that Timothy is putting forward for us is a servant heart for the gospel. Part two, Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus gets me fired up because you have to remember, Epaphroditus is like the Pony Express rider, right? He actually is the mail courier who's going to bring a message from Philippi to Paul with a gift. Turn with me and, and look at this. In chapter 4, verse 18, this is what Paul says about Epaphroditus. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I want you all to hear this. Epaphroditus's mission was to bring a letter to Paul and a monetary financial gift to support Paul because he's in prison and nobody's, nobody's paying the bills, right, in prison. He's only going to get food if the church supplies it. He's only going to get care if the church supplies it. He's only going to get companionship if the church raises up. And so Philippi, what they do is they're like, who are we going to send? And they choose Epaphroditus and on his journey... Going to Philippi, 800 miles, he gets sick somewhere either on the journey or after he gets to Rome, almost dies to get this message and this gift to Paul out of a love and affection. And it was the overflow of the church of Philippi in their love towards Paul. And they sent one man. Who, who might we send? Who might we send? Who might be the Epaphroditus that we send? Because unless we're sending people out from this church to do gospel ministry out in the world, we're going to grow sleepy and we're going to fall asleep and we're going to be slumbering in the world around us. But if we're raising up intentionally people to go, and maybe that's you, maybe the Lord has called you to go, 
And, and I pray this sermon would be like, I want to be Epaphroditus. So look with me at verse 25 and hear what Paul says as he gives commendations about Epaphroditus' character now. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. This is chapter 2, verse 25. Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. So Paul is calling Epaphroditus, number one, a brother. Epaphroditus is my brother. He doesn't just say he's a brother. He's my brother. Now, I, I want to tell you all something. Like, if somebody risks their life, almost dies to take a gift to provide for you, like, that person's going to be kind of warm to you, right? You're going to have a little affection for him. You're, you're going to be like, Epaphroditus is my man. <laughs> like, so that's how Paul felt about him. He's like, this brother gave his life almost to bring me help. Will we be that kind of Christian? Will we dig deep down in our soul and say, what needs to change in my life to become this kind of man or woman for the glory of Christ to serve the church? This is like, this is the wasp stinging you on the head and you're waking up, right? I understand it, it's not pleasant sometimes to hear these words, but it's soul-giving, it's soul-inspiring, strengthening grace that we need. And sometimes we need to be shook away. And Epaphroditus was a brother. He was a brother in Christ. He was a brother in the gospel. He was a brother in the Lord. He'd been brought from death to life. He'd been brought from blindness to sight. He was a brother in Jesus, a brother in arms. So much so that the Apostle Paul would call him a fellow soldier. And sometimes we forget that we're in a spiritual battle. We forget that it's not, you know, we, we look at Afghanistan and we're like, this is crazy. The Taliban took over the nation in a matter of hours. And we see war and we see ravaging death, like all the destruction that war brings. And we need to know that we're in a spiritual battle that has all kinds of collateral damage and that the devils are prowling lions, seeking whom he might devour, the scriptures say, and resist him firm in the Lord. Like, there's a reason Paul puts the battle imagery out there. Not so we could be like, you know, la, 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 everything's great. But like, no, you're at war. And every day, somebody's being taken a prisoner. Every day, somebody's believing a lie about Christianity and about Jesus. Every day, somebody, even in our body, may be so discouraged that they need a word from you. And you need to be an Epaphroditus who's willing to go 800 miles to get that word to them. He was a soldier. He was a man of proven character. And Paul calls him a fellow worker. I mean... Epaphroditus sweat with blood, sweat, and tears. He worked hard. He was willing to pull up his boots and actually go do the 800-mile trek. And I've never done anything like that. Being in the Marine Corps, I got a little taste of something, but I've never went 800 miles two different times to get a message to and from somewhere. And this man risked his life, got sick, almost died, and by the grace of God, he was healed. 
to bring a word. And he was, he was called a messenger of Philippi, which meant he was a minister. He was meant to actually do good. We're going to have a deacon service tonight. And that same word is, it's a, the word group is used. It's serving. A deacon is a servant. A deacon is one who meets needs. A deacon is doing exactly what Epaphroditus did. So deacons, Epaphroditus is a model deacon, right? He actually goes and does what nobody else wants to do to meet the needs of Paul. Oh, Paul says, honor such men. He says, honor such men. Look at uh, verse 29 and 30. So receive him, meaning Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This, this man was meeting real needs in the church. And if every one of us had that heart, we're like, God, stir in me the heart of Epaphroditus that we'd be willing to take risks for the glory of Christ, that we would be willing to, to, to move across the aisle to minister to needs and to get to know people well enough to know their needs. And I realize I'm saying this, and I've only been here about eight months, but I'll tell you what, I know, and I've been around long enough to know that we have needs in this church, that we have needs, that we have spiritual needs, and we could be discipling and doing others spiritual good, and how much discipleship, how much one-on-one -on -one ministry is really happening. And may God begin it again afresh today. The same kind of work that was going on in Philippi can go on here because this letter was penned for that very purpose. Epaphroditus is set forward as a sacrificial example that's like, hey, I'm going to give my time, I'm going to give my resources, and I'm going to give the space to be able to do this kind of ministry. Because unless he was committed, he ain't going 800 miles. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. And he is a soldier in the army of the Lord. And I just, I want to sound the trumpet of the clarion call that we would be soldiers in the army of the Lord. That we would be mobilizing like with gospel guns aimed, locked and loaded for the glory of Christ with love for people and that we, would, that we would roll up our sleeves and get to the business of spiritual warfare because we have met weapons that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We got a sword of the Spirit and you can't leave it in the sheath. You can't leave it on the bedside to, to collect dust. You got to pick up your sword and get in the fight. And, and, and just in case this is like, well, maybe it's just here and it's not other places. We already read Ephesians 6 a couple months back, but listen to what Timothy is told by Paul in a letter to Timothy, where Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, and no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's powerful. So Paul is basically saying, listen, Timothy, you can't live like a civilian. You can't live like somebody who's not in the battle. You can't live like a person who doesn't get the war is on and the war is raging and pick up the arms and take up a spot next to your brothers and sisters and fight the good fight of faith. 
and wage warfare with weapons that are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds of Satan that enslave and entrap the souls of men and women in the culture all around you. And even, dear brothers and sisters, who may be laboring under lies, because we all believe lies sometimes, and we get really discouraged, and we could be giving a word to one another. If, what happened if you shared your devotional with one person a day? You read something in Scripture, and you're just like, I got a word for you, brother. I got a word for you, sister. And you just read them a verse, sent them a text, sent them an email. Imagine who you could encourage. What are ways that we can begin to mobilize? What are ways that we can begin to shake off the civilian pursuits so that we can kind of have direct communication with our commander in chief and say, Lord, I'm ready. Send me where I need to go. And you began each morning like that. It sobers you. And that's why these things are in the Bible, to wake us up. You're in a battle, you're a soldier, and sometimes we just need a fresh awakening to that reality. Verse 26, we'll, we'll end with this. I, I want you to see Epaphroditus' selflessness. Paul says, after all of that commendation, He's a fellow soldier. He's, a, he's my brother. He's your messenger. He's uh, 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 a man of God. And then he goes to verse 26 and he says, but guess what? He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So here's what, this is the heart of this brother. And this is the special, this is what ministered to me this week when I was thinking about him. He just went through hell and almost died to get to Paul. And he's on a sick bed and finally recovers. And the first thing that's on his heart is he knows, and this had to have been going on for a while because Philippi knows that he's sick. And he's worried that Philippi is going to be discouraged because the guy they sent to go help Paul is sick and on his deathbed. And they're like, what is, what's wrong? We just sent you to do this. They might have been thinking, Lord, this isn't fair. Why Our messenger is sick. And then God heals him. And the very first thing Epaphroditus wants to do is get back to them so they can be encouraged. He's not worried about, I just went through this and, and, and look at all my problems and I, I, this is how awful it was for me and I barely was able to do ministry with Paul and now he's sending me back. What, you know, like, he's like, no, I love Philippi and I want to get back to encourage them. And Paul almost doesn't want to part with him because this brother has endeared himself in a span of just a few months to the apostle. This kind of a infectious, other-centered, selfless, sacrificial heart. A man who risked his life for the sake of Christ. And I commend him to you as the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit commends him. Honor such men. And as we get ready to have a deacon ordination service, we want to honor our deacons and, and, and call them to be these kind of men. And tonight, we get to participate in that. 
We've got two examples of the mind of Christ lived out among the church. What might need to change in order to make us like these men, these kind of men? What might change in your schedule? What might change in your daily planner? What might change in your emphasis? What might change in your study habits? so that you might become a man who's a servant of the gospel or a woman who's a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church and a man who would pour out his life, risking it all for the sake of Christ. I just want to talk about one man. His name was George Whitfield. He was a great evangelist. He's the one who pioneered the great awakening in the 18th century in America. So when you think about like awakenings and revival and like real spirit coming down, waking up the church to these realities, you think of a man like George Whitfield. And here's this brother. He gets up at four in the morning, prays for an hour for the souls of men and and, and in communion with the father, reading the scriptures. I don't get up at four in the morning. So, you know, this brother was different. But he, he gets up at four in the morning, spends the first hour doing that. Then at five in the morning, there's such a hunger for God in the culture. There's such a hunger. There's a movement of God happening. And there's at 5 a.m. in the fields, thousands of people lighting lanterns, waiting to hear the gospel presented by this preacher who preached 30,000 sermons in his lifetime. He preached five times a day mostly five or six days a week. I don't know how the brother slept, but I I just know that he had a heart of flame for the gospel and he was burning the candle brightly for the Lord and he began his day at four in the morning and his heart was about the gospel all day long. And I commend the, the heart of this man because what he did was not just preaching. He went door to door and house to house After he preached at five in the morning, from seven to nine, he was visiting people, interacting with people, going to homes, caring for souls, being an encourager, and he would ride from house to house to house to house. And you say, yeah, that doesn't happen today. You better believe it happens. You better believe it after after 18 months of what we've gone through, that people are just hungry to have companionship. And what better way than to go out to them? Spend your time ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ in this culture and allow the Lord to wake us up to live for the glory of God. There's no better way to spend your life. Jesus is worth it. His name is worthy to be made much of. Arise and go out. Arise, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. May we go, and may we follow the example of Whitfield and Timothy and Epaphroditus to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you, God, that sometimes you you wake us up in different ways, different sermons hit us in different ways. But I pray, God, that you would light a fire in our souls and that it would not go out. Lord, that you remind Peter that not even the gates of Hades shall prevail against the church. And Lord, we pray that even if all of hell is assailing us, that we will not 
shrink back from declaring the gospel for it is the power of God unto those who believe. And Lord, wake, awaken your church to be a salt and light, spirit-filled, gospel-saturated organism that just is infectiously living out in this world in ways that the light chases out the darkness and that we would see sinners come to you in groves. And, and Lord, fill up the baptism. Fill up our, our, our weeks with just baptism after baptism because the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.